Uh, I take the title from the passage, which is uh, Wrestling with God. Probably one you've heard sermons on before, so this may not be anything new. I'll be in Genesis chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32, and we'll be in verse 22. So Genesis 32 and 22. As you're turning there, I'll briefly remind you this is the story of Jacob. As you know, Jacob was born and had quite the life. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit, but his name means uh, deceiver or supplanter. And his entire life was filled with such activities. Uh, If you recall, a few chapters prior to this, we see that when he was in his mother's womb with um, Esau, his brother, they fought together. And then Esau was born first, and Jacob came out grasping the heel of his brother. They continued this fighting and um, all manner of struggle throughout his life. He uh, tricked him, I guess you will, into giving away his birthright, and then later tricked his own father into blessing him instead of the firstborn. And Esau got really angry about this and threatened to kill his brother. And his mother found out about this and suggested that his brother run away to Laban, a a relative, and take safety there. So he ran away, probably with very little, if anything, to spare his life. There he met uh, Rachel and Rebecca that he worked uh, 14 years to gain their hands in marriage. Spent about 20 years working for his his uncle, his father-in-law. And as he was leaving, he decided it was time to leave. In fact, the Lord told him to leave. But even though the Lord told him to leave, Jacob, as it says again a chapter or so before, tricked Laban uh, and took a whole bunch of things with him and made Laban really angry. He snuck out at night, basically, with all the wives and grandchildren and possessions that he had. So he's leaving Laban on his way to go see Esau, who, as you remember, wants to kill him. All of this under the direction of the Lord. And he learns that Laban is in hot pursuit with his army. So you can imagine the stress that's going on. He's going towards someone who last he spoke with him said he was going to kill him. And he's running from someone who's chasing him down with an army for stealing, I guess if you want to say, running off with his daughters and grandchildren and all these types of things. So he's in a real hard place, real difficult point in his life. The issue with Laban goes well. That's for another sermon. Um, only goes well because God told Laban not to bother him. And so now he's left with his last hurdle, which is facing his brother for the first time in years. And so he's doing everything he can to try and smooth the way he's preparing. He's getting all of his possessions, and he's marching them off in front of him in an orderly fashion to be presented to Esau to try and win his favor back so Esau doesn't kill him. And this is where we find him. So I want to give you that background in case you... Didn't remember. So we pick up in Genesis chapter 32. Let me just start with uh, verse 20. He's given instructions to his servants and his, uh, those he has, and he's sending them on ahead. He said, You shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us, for he thought I may appease him with the presence or the present that goes ahead of me, and afterward I shall see his face, perhaps he will accept me. So he, so the present please, <laughs> passed, excuse me, so the present passed on ahead of him, 
and he himself stayed that night in the camp. So he is sending everything he owns on ahead of him. Now that same night, we'll pick up in verse 22, and let me read the end of the chapter. That same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go, unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. And then he said, Your name should no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask me my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose up upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore to this day the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of his thigh. And so here we find this incredible account that I want to mention at the outright. I believe wholly that this actually happened. I'm a very literal interpreter of the scripture in that I believe that this is not just some fairy tale made up. I don't think this is some uh, dream that he had, some, some image that he had, but I believe that this actually physically happened. But I also think that this account is ripe with a tremendous amount of symbolism that we can take and apply to our own lives today. And so I'm going to be skipping, jumping, if you will, back and forth between explaining what actually happened and providing insight from this that we can use in our lives today. So I want to begin by noting here that he's up all night. He's making these plans, again, trying to uh, persuade his brother not to kill him. He's sending people out in these different groups. And you can go back in the previous chapter and that chapter early and read all about his plans. No doubt there is a tremendous amount of anxiety that he is dealing with. And he keeps his closest family back with him. And in the middle of the night, he can't sleep, I'm assuming. So he gets up and he takes them across the river. He fords this river with them and he comes back across the other side. And he is the only one on this side of the river in the camp left alone. And he has given up everything that he has in hopes of pleasing his brother. He's literally by himself. It says that he is alone. I have no doubt, again, as I mentioned, that he is dealing with a tremendous amount of anxiety, that he's exhausted from all the preparations that he's done. He just came off the heels of having to deal with Laban and everything that's going on there. And he is left alone, and he has no worldly pleasures anymore. Now, this is a, a very rich man, if you think about all that he gives. He has lots and lots of cattle, lots of possessions, lots of servants, lots of uh, family, very extended family. And here he is finally left alone perhaps for the first time in his life, really, or at least the first time in a long time. You see, to understand that culture is to understand that this is a man who is in charge of everything, and there were probably always people around him, always possessions around him, and now this night he is up with the anxiety and the weight of the world hanging on his shoulders, and now he's completely alone. 
And I pondered as I read this, and I wondered how often is that true for us today? How rare is it that we are actually truly alone? Especially with the electronics and things of this nature that we have, how often do we spend any time just still? How often do we truly spend any time alone that we don't have the cares of the world, our possessions, our friends, and our family who are involved with us? But in this case, he finds himself alone. And he finds himself in a situation where he's powerless to control what comes next. And so maybe a few of us, many of us have never found ourselves completely alone. But I guarantee you we have all found ourselves in a situation that seems to be building and building that you are very concerned about, that you have absolutely no power to control what comes next. And so that is where Jacob finds himself. That same night he arose, he took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children. He crossed the ford at Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And then in verse 24, we see this very peculiar thing happen. It says, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Now, who is this man? Well, that's a good question, and I'm not sure I'm going to give you a satisfactory answer. It seems to indicate that this man was more than just a physical man. Some believe that it was, in fact, an angel, and there's lots of good evidence for that, including this verse and including Hosea 12.4 that also speaks about this incident, where it says he strove with the angel and prevailed. Some have posited that this is the pre-incarnate Christ, in other words, Christ uh, may have been in and out of the world doing different things, not in the physical sense in the same way that, we, that he came as a person, but might have been involved. Other verses seem to indicate this was actually God himself. We see that also in Hosea, but also later in this chapter as well. Either way you want to look at it, regardless of this, this is the manifestation in the presence of God himself. Right? This is the presence of God himself that he is wrestling with. So he's left alone and a man wrestled with him or was striving with him. Now I want to pause just for a second since I've mentioned it a couple of times. Let me read the few verses in Hosea that speak about this. Hosea chapter 12, if you're taking notes, verse 3 and 4, talks about Jacob. And it says, In the womb he took his brother by the heel, and in his manhood he strove with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. Now, this is important. He wept and sought his favor. He met God at Bethel, and there God spoke with us. And so we see something very important about this. This was no doubt a physical struggle. Jacob was physically fighting, wrestling, struggling with the very manifestation of the presence of God. But there was more than just a physical struggle and a fight that went on here. There is a very deep spiritual struggle. And we cannot and should not miss that significance. And that is why we see that he wept and sought the favor of God. So this was more than just a physical fight. This is a spiritual fight. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he could not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Now, I've struggled with this since I was 
a small child. What on earth is this talking about? If this is an angel, if this is the manifested presence of God, how could this person not overcome Jacob? Was Jacob just some incredibly strong man who couldn't be held down? Clearly not. Because this, if this is the presence of God, an angel or otherwise, then how could Jacob possibly do anything to really win the balance physically here? And so I think when it says that he could not overcome or prevail, another translation says he was not winning the struggle. And here's the important part and why I think this is more about a spiritual issue than a physical one. It's not that the manifestation of God or the angel could not physically prevail, but he could not spiritually prevail over Jacob. Why? Because just like today, God doesn't force himself on us. God could take any one of us at any time and force us to put our faith in Him, but He never, ever does. You see, that's part of why we have free will. It's part of why we have a choice in the matter. And God will do everything He can to bring us to Him, but He will never force Himself upon us. And so the angel wrestling all night long with Jacob is trying to spiritually get him to the point where he needs to be to put his faith in God. And the angel sees he's not prevailing, he's not winning. Now, this is the hard part, as I mentioned, about how to prepare for this sermon is, do I save some of the application till the end? Let me just go ahead and pause here and say, how many of us have struggled with God spiritually? How many of us have struggled with God until eventually God does something to get our attention, puts our hip out of socket, or on occasion somehow seems to go away for a time? I struggled with that for many a times and many a years over different ways and different matters. I've told you all the story of my calling to preach. That was hard on me. It was a struggle. It was a fight that I had with God for about two months solid. To the point that I got, I was so stressed, I couldn't hardly eat. My jaw was like completely locked up. And then all of a sudden, it kind of like went away. And I was like, wait a second. What happened here? God struggled with me. I struggled with him. He was trying to get me to submit to his will. And when I wouldn't do that, eventually he departed from me to some degree. And that got me even more concerned. I'm like, wait, why did this happen? Why did this stop all of a sudden? I can't deny what happens. I know what God had told me to do. Why do I not feel this way anymore? Why am I not struggling? Still hadn't given in. But that pressure wasn't there. The point of all this is to say, it's not that the angel couldn't physically overtake Jacob. It's not about the physical. It's not that the angel couldn't force him to submit to God because Jacob had to submit on his own to God. And I will confess today and tell you that I don't think it's any different today. You can wrestle all you want to and God can always win. But it's up to you to give up. Because God is not going to overcome you against your will. And that's a very important thing for us to remember. The problem here is Jacob would not submit. Why? Because it's who he was. He was a cheat. He was a deceiver. He was a supplanter. And you have to ask yourself the question, are you any different? Pick up in verse 26. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. This is the angel speaking. 
But Jacob said, I will not let you go, let you go unless you bless me. Now, why was the angel worried about it being daylight? It's a good question. I don't know this dogmatically. It's not as though that somehow the angel was afraid of the daylight or something. It very well could be because the angel knew that, you know what, at daylight, guess who's coming? Esau. So this had to be done by daylight. Maybe that's why there was concern about this. Regardless, there was concern about it coming near the end of the day. The angel could have escaped because anything he wanted to. Worried about daylight, only likely because Jacob had something to do. And Jacob says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And so here again, this idea, again, it's not physically, it's spiritually that there's a battle going on here. The angel could have left and fled at any moment that he wanted to. It wasn't like Jacob is greater than God to try and hold him somewhere. But Jacob is holding on and says, I will not let you go until you bless me. Here's one more application, and you may hear this again at the end. If you continue to hold on to what you are fighting for, God may not be able to actually bless you. See, there's this back and forth going on here. Jacob is holding on for dear life, saying, you have to bless me. But the reality is, and we'll see here in just a minute, what has to happen is Jacob has to let go to receive the blessing. And many times in our lives, we refuse to do that. So Jacob demands a blessing. And the angel finally looks at him and he says in verse 27, and he said to him, what is your name? Again, let me just pause here again. This, this seems so confusing to me years ago when I was much younger. Is it possible that this angel just like accidentally found somebody and started wrestling with them? He doesn't know who this person is. Not in the least. The angel knew exactly who he was wrestling with. So why does he ask him his name? Because his very name means what? Deceiver, liar, supplanter. His very name means sinful activity. And I really think at some point, the angel is telling Jacob, you have to admit to me who you are. And when we think about getting saved, do we not have to do the same thing? Do we not have to come to Jesus Christ and submit to him and say, I am a sinner, I am wretched, I am not worth saving, but I want to be blessed by you. And you see, I really think this is part of what happened here. This is an application of what we can take away. It's not so much the angel didn't know who he was. It has nothing to do with his actual name other than the implication here that he is a sinful man and he has to admit that before an almighty God. And he said to him, what is your name? This is the angel speaking. And Jacob replied, Jacob. See, he had to admit it. He had to tell and admit his state. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. So after Jacob has admitted who he is, his character, his nature, his very issues that he has, The angel says, that's not your name anymore. Did he win the battle? Did did Jacob win this battle, like physically? No. He eventually gave up. 
He was called out, recognized who he was, admits who he is, a sinful man before God, and God gives him a new name and changes who he is. Now we should notice here that his name isn't permanently changed. If you read the rest of the scriptures, it goes back and forth between Jacob and Israel. And while not always this way, oftentimes represents the times that Jacob is behaving poorly, is in worldly, and the times that he's behaving well, and he's often called Israel. But this name change is important because God is saying, here is your new name, someone who has striven with God, who's wrestled with God. We all will wrestle with God at some point. At some point in your life, God will be before you in whatever manifestation that is, and you will have to contend with God, and you can fight, and you can fight, and you can fight, and you can push away, but God is there to love you to Himself, not force you. But you have to confess who you are before God. And then comes the beautiful part, kind of. Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you want to know my name? And there he blessed him. I want to talk about that for just a second, because Jacob, I don't think, still doesn't quite get it. He's like, I don't know who you are. And the angel, the manifestation of God says, that doesn't really matter, my interpretation. And he blesses him anyway. You ever known somebody who's got a little too, hmm, how do I want to say this? Focuses on the wrong thing, puts the wrong emphasis in the wrong place. See, it didn't matter the angel's name. It didn't matter who the angel was. It mattered that the angel represented the very nature of God and that Jacob would submit to God, not what this person's name is. And sometimes we, even as Christians, can strive after something that really is of no consequence. The reality is we should be pursuing God and be submission, uh, submit to Him, not fighting and trying to pick off these little things and find the things that we think are important, but to actually instead put our faith in Him. But He blessed Him. And there He blessed Him. And so what happens at the end? Well, that's verse 30 through the end, the outcome. You'll notice that he names the place. Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, which translates as the face of God, again, giving us more insight into who and what was going on here. Notice he doesn't name it the place that I overcame God. He humbly recognizes that this is the place where the face of God was revealed to me. Not that I strove and overcome, not that I won the victory, but instead that I have seen the face of God and yet was spared, yet was alive. And then he got up to go face Esau, and to wade back across that river, except this time he had a limp. Likely the rest of his life, I'm assuming from this, a thorn in the side, in this case quite literally, to constantly remind him of what? God's favor on him. Not because he deserved it, not because he earned it, not because he won the battle. In fact, the only way that he won was by giving up. You see, it's counterintuitive. We can strive and strive and strive for God's blessings, but until we give up and do what he wants us to do, there is no blessing to be found. 
So let me review some lessons, some parallels, both for salvation and for our daily walk. A few I've skipped ahead and mentioned already, but we'll review a few things here in this lesson. We mentioned at the beginning that Jacob was under a severe amount of anxiety and pressure. He had a lot to be worried about. He was in charge of everything, and there was a lot of it. He carried all that around. He had to be in charge of it. He had to decide what to do. He sent this group forward, and then this group, and then this group. And how do I make sure all these hundreds of cattle in this group can go ahead to Esau? How do I make sure that my brother doesn't murder me? All this anxiety, all this frenetic activity that was going on wore him down. It was pressing in on every side of Jacob. And he was about to lose it all. All of it. You ever felt like that? What did he have to do? Well, he had to be willing to give up everything. He sent it all across the river. He started to hold on to his family. And eventually had to be willing to give that up too. Now don't take that too far. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't and can't take care of our own family. I think we should. But the reality is, if I hold on to my family before God, it's going to be a losing proposition. If I try to hold on to the wealth and the status and everything in this world that I have collected unto myself and try to put that between me and God, I'm never going to be successful. I must be willing to give it all up. And for those of us who know the next chapter, he gets it all back. But he had to be willing to give up his possessions. I also think it's important that the Bible points out that he was utterly alone. Once he had given up everything, he was alone and by himself. I've told you my experience of salvation, and it was such that when we left, there were three, four, five hundred people, I don't know how many, who were around me. But when I knelt and prayed to God, guess who was there? Me and God. That was it. Everyone else around me didn't matter. Oh, I knew they were there, but I was utterly alone before God, helpless before Him. And I would say, many of you, when you think back on when you were saved, experienced the same thing. Whether there were people gathered around you or whether you were utterly alone and by yourself, there was that point when it was just you and God. This is why I think many times it's appropriate to give an altar call to say, come up here and pray by yourself for a minute. Be alone with God and let him deal with you. Because when we compound all the distractions of the world on top of us, it gets really hard to hear them. So sometimes we need to be alone, utterly alone, and allow God to show up. I mentioned that... um, We saw in another book that he wept and sought favor with God. That when he was striving and wrestling, this was more than just a physical thing. It was a spiritual and emotional battle. But that he was weeping and begging. We might call that a contrite spirit and a broken heart. Also, another key that you must have for salvation to somehow think that you can win this battle, that you can force God into saving you, or that you can force Him to do something for you. No, we must come broken before God, alone, weeping, while we may strive with Him for an evening. We must be willing to be broken before Him. 
As I said, this isn't a story about a great physical struggle. It is spiritual. And we are reminded the scriptures tell us that our battle is not against flesh and blood. It wasn't about the physical. It was about the spiritual. We must also remember from this account that we must submit to God because he will not force us to do it. Oh, some of us, and I've heard some of your testimonies, maybe of salvation and also of other times in your lives when God has been in it, you feel like you get to the point that you can't not submit. But you still had a choice. I've been to those times. And sometimes I've refused to submit. I bet some other people have too. And you knew what you had to do was give up. But you just didn't want to. We must submit to God. He will not force himself on us. We should also remember that sometimes our fighting with God may result in an injury. I think the implication here, and it seems to read out in other portions of the scripture, that Jacob likely walked with a limp the rest of his life. Brothers and sisters, sometimes we will go down a path and we will be somewhere that we are not supposed to be and we will be harmed and have to struggle with that harm for the rest of our lives. But it doesn't mean that God isn't with you. Sometimes we are given a reminder of how we should live. It also reminds us about defeat. Jacob was ultimately the one who was defeated, I think, when he gave his name to admit who he was before God. God was not defeated, nor was the angel in this case. And to get the blessing, as I've said above, over, if you remember, he gave away his family, gave away everything he had. The blessing wasn't to get more of worldly wealth, but the blessing was a spiritual one that he demanded of God. But to get the blessing, he had to be defeated first. He had to give up. We also see that there was confession here. Jacob had to confess and admit the truth about who he was, a deceitful, sinful person. We also see in here that Jacob had to face God. And you know what? Someday we all will. All of us. No matter what you believe today, when the end of time comes, we will all stand before the judgment seat and he will either say... Well done, good and faithful servant, or depart from me, I never knew you. I don't forget which way that goes. God says, I never knew you. Not you didn't know me. Not you didn't attend church. Not you weren't a church member. Not you weren't baptized. He says, I never knew you. Does God know you? Have you striven with God and let him win? Or are you still trying to put it over on him? Are you still struggling? Are you still putting it off and saying, no, I got this. I'm good. I don't care how much I might get injured. I'm going to win. I'm going to order my life. I'm going to do what I want to do. Because until you truly face God and give up to him, you've gotten exactly nowhere. The reality of this story is to win is to lose. This is why so much of Christianity is backwards from what everything else society teaches us. If you want to win and be known by God, then you have to give up and lose your battle with him. It's the only way to be successful. Winning is losing. 
And when we face God here on earth, and when we lose to Him, when we have a contrite spirit, and we confess to Him and seek His salvation, we will get a new name. Revelation 2.17 says, To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. See, those of us who've been saved have a name. It's between you and God. You've been given a new name. We must also be careful not to be distracted, as I mentioned. Knowing the name of the, quote, man or the angel who was fighting with Jacob had nothing to do with anything. And too many times in our lives we get distracted by the things that don't really amount to anything. We also learn to be, to be blessed. We must be fully submitted to the one who's blessing us. So Jacob wasn't blessed until he gave in and submitted. That's the same with us today. And so we have to wonder, after seeing verse 30 through the end, Jacob named the place, for I have seen God face to face, and yet I have been delivered. And as the sun rose, he began in his journey. And so I ask the question to those who are here today, have you encountered God? Is there a time and a place in your life when you've wrestled with God? Some of us wrestled for a long season, more than just a night. Some of us spent months, maybe, maybe a year, maybe two, wrestling with God until you finally submitted to him and admitted who you were in his presence and came asking and begging for a blessing until you were willing to be in submission to him. Others of us, it took almost no time at all to go from the point of where you realize your state before him to the point that you give up and God blesses you and gives you a new name. I am thankful that I am one of those that it took not much longer than it took for my knees to hit the ground than I was saved. But I know that there are those of us who are here who it took a long time. You wrestled, you fought, you struggled. God, literally, I pray, bless you to give up soon and fall into his hands. If you are still struggling today, let me just tell you, you're not going to win. And you may get hurt in the process. And you may walk the rest of your life with a scar that you'll never forget. And so I beg you today to learn the lesson of Jacob becoming Israel and give up to him. Because when you submit is the only time that you can win. You will not win this spiritual battle. And you cannot do it on your own. You must be convicted. You must be contrite, that is, have a broken heart before God, and you must confess who you are. You must submit to Him. And for those of us who have experienced this, <laughs> this then becomes the daily battle. No longer depending on my own self, no longer depending on all the possessions that I think that I have, but instead being willing to send all of it across the river 
to sit by myself, to let my God come and tell me what it is that he wants me to do and then be faithful enough to go and do it. The only way to win is to lose. And that becomes a daily reoccurring battle. We cannot keep who we are and still be blessed. But that's what we try to do. Day in and day out. We try to cling to whatever it is that we think we are, whoever it is that we think we are, wherever we're at, instead of giving up to the only one who can cleanse us. Let me pray and then we'll have a hymn. Lord, we come to you today and we are thankful for the beautiful and amazing example that you give us. Lord, I pray that there was clarity in here, that you work through the words of the Scripture and your weak servant here to speak directly to the hearts of those who need to hear it. Lord, for those who are still wrestling with you about their salvation, Lord, I pray that they would give up, that they would confess to you the very nature of who they are, that they would come to you with tears, begging for forgiveness, asking for that blessing so that they can receive the new name, that they can be yours. Lord, I pray whatever it is that's in the way, whether it's possessions or friendships or family or anything at all, just like Jacob had to get rid of all of it, Lord, I pray that you would help them to get rid of whatever they're holding in front of you and to truly, legitimately seek you out, just you and them alone. Lord, I pray for those of us who have had such an experience, Lord, that you would help us to do this on a daily basis. Lord, that every morning when we rise, we would consider what it is that we were supposed to do that day and be willing to take whatever it is that we thought we were supposed to do and set it aside as well. And to, Lord, to pursue you with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind, to love you as no other, to put you first in our lives, Lord, to live up to the new name that you've given us. Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts, work in our lives. Help us to know you more. Help us to be obedient to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's have a hymn, a time of reflection, a time that you can come be alone if you'd like. Of course, as I said, I was found alone in the middle of a crowd, so you don't have to go anywhere. The time to reflect on what the Lord is telling you from this passage. Are you still fighting with God? Eventually you're going to lose. And if you don't lose permanently, you may walk with a limp the rest of your life. Let's have a